Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, podcast enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of Immigrantly, the show that dives deep into the human experience and explores the diverse stories that make our world so rich. I'm Sadia Khan, and today I have a story to share with you that happened recently at a podcast marketing event. So picture this. I'm at the event, excited to talk about Immigrantly Media and the incredible stories we bring to light. Everything seemed to be going really well until I struck up a conversation with a woman sitting right next to me. Now brace yourself for this. She did not hold back on her thoughts about our podcast and media company name, Immigrantly. Yep. She told me she wouldn't click on a podcast with that name and that it threw her off. Now, having lived in New York for over a decade, I know that people don't sugarcoat their opinions. So at first, I was taken aback by her brutal honesty. I mean, who wouldn't be? But here's the thing about living in the city that never sleeps. It really toughens you up quickly. After the initial shock, I realized that not everyone will love the name or resonate with it. And you know what? That's okay. I even considered the idea of changing the name for a split second. I know it was so wrong. But then I took a deep breath and I thought to myself, if the term immigrantly triggers such a strong reaction in someone, maybe our stories aren't meant for them. And you know what? I'm okay with that. And with that, let's get into our today's episode. Because today's conversation is all about embracing our identity and continuing to share stories that matter. Jesus Diaz, also known as Chef Jesus, is a chef and TV personality. Born and raised in Caracas, Venezuela, Jesus immigrated to the United States in the year 2000. Since then, he's been slowly growing into the accomplished chef he is today. Since 2017, Chef Jesus has appeared on Despierta America, which translates to Wake Up America. Many of you may in fact be familiar with this Spanish language morning network. So keep an eye out for Chef Jesus if you haven't seen him already. Soon after starting, he became Despierta America's recurring resident chef. 
And even before that, in 2012, he opened his own sushi restaurant in Florida. If any Floridians are interested in checking it out, he'll be talking a little bit about it in the episode. So listen out for it. In these past few years, Jesus has published his own cookbook, released a line of cooking attire, created his own TV show, won two Emmys, and he's even won a dance show competition. With that last fact alone, he already sounds like a pretty interesting guy and I am so excited to interview him today. So let's welcome Jesus Diaz to Immigrantly. I'm really excited to have you on Immigrantly. Thank you. I see something in the background and I'm trying to figure out where you are. Can you tell <laughs> me where you're sitting right now? I was thinking about that. Uh, this is not the best setup, but I just got out of my job, the morning show, and this is like a garage where we park. But it's the only quiet place. <laughs> At least it's quiet, right? Yes. This is your based in Miami. Correct. How long have you lived in the U.S.? In the U.S., it's going to be 24 years. I got here in the year 2000, directly to Miami when I was 17 years old. Oh, so you've lived in Miami throughout? Yes, never moved. Never moved. <laughs> ah, so you must be in love with Miami then. I do. I love Miami for a few reasons. I mean, the first one is that we're close to Latin America. I haven't been back to Venezuela, which is my country, but um, I've been able to go to Peru, Colombia, you know, Mexico, Costa Rica, and um, being close to your country of origin always keeps those hopes open that you, you can go back anytime you want. And obviously, you know, I love the beach, being from the Caribbean, I have to be in a, in a warm weather city. I totally get it. I live in New York. And before that, we used to live in Denver, Colorado. And it was a trek going to Pakistan from Denver. So ever since we moved to New York, I feel like I'm closer to Pakistan. Yes, totally. Although it's like still, what, 16 hours flight? <laughs> but... oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm here complaining about five. <laughs> How often do you go back to Venezuela? Well, I haven't been back since 2001. And it's because um, obviously the government problems that we have I was able to get political asylum when my parents came because I came alone with my brother. I came because I wanted to play baseball. That was my dream. I was a baseball player since I was seven years old. And I came before to different tournaments since I was like 11 years old. And then at 17, I had this opportunity to stay with my brother. And, and we did. We stayed in Miami. And then three, four years later, my parents came with my sister. So the only thing at that point that will give us, you know, the status and be legal was political asylum mm -hmm. because already Venezuela was going through this, you know, huge problem politically. I stayed a few months uh, even without status, you know, illegal because I was uh, under 21. My parents was, were able to also include me in that petition for a political asylum. So that's how, you know, we got everything fixed. You have two kids, right? Correct. I have two girls. 
do you hope to take them back to Venezuela? Absolutely. That's that's one of my, it's in my bucket list. As one of the missions for this year, my New Year's resolution, I said that I was going to renew my passport, which is expired. And I started the process. My brother just did it now a few months back and I got really excited. So I'm going to try to do the same and hopefully take the girls soon. So talk to me about this journey from wanting to be a baseball player and now a chef. Well, baseball, you know, it was my first girlfriend. You know, that's how I got my first love. My dad put me into baseball when I was seven years old. And I never looked back. That's all I wanted to do. Play baseball, practice. I would dream about games, being in the major leagues. And that, to me, was what brought me to the U.S. You know, at, at that time when I decided to come over, Venezuela was perfect. You know, it was a beautiful country with democracy, economically very well. And I think my parents never thought of living. And then when I decided to stay, they started thinking about it. And then the political problems came. So that was like the final push, you know? So I did come, played high school. I got a scholarship to play in college. But to me, the the real price of playing baseball was to come to the United States. It's, It's what brought me here. And I think it brought the whole family here because of that, because of that dream. And because I was underage and my parents wanted to be with me. I'm the youngest of three. So that that was baseball. But then arriving to the U.S. as an immigrant without the language, without status, not knowing many people, uh, my first job was at a restaurant washing dishes. And then I spent a good amount of time in that first job. I spent four or five years. And I learned a lot about the kitchen and the, and the restaurant business. You know, I went from a dishwasher to a server, then a cook. Mm together with the necessity of cooking for myself at 17 years old because mom was not there, I think it, it started a passion for the food, for trying new things because I was tired of the same pasta with the ragu sauce that I would make <laughs> every day <laughs> without any experience. So I started learning and cooking for myself. And then um, I got another job at another restaurant. And then I moved to a distribution company for food and equipment for restaurants. So that's how I got into the restaurant business. In 2012, I opened my own restaurant. That was a sushi restaurant with Latin flair, right? Correct. It's called Nikkei, right? Which is a combination of Peruvian and Japanese. So that little mix was the best for me, you know, being able to cook raw dishes, different sauces. The presentation was also very attractive to me. And it was in in the back of the kitchen, a hot, stressful kitchen like I did work before. The fact that the, the sushi bar or the raw station for most of the dishes was in front of the house. And I was able to have some time with the people and see their reactions with the food and being in a more more peaceful environment. That's what also attracted me to that type of cuisine. I wonder what brought Japanese and Latin cuisine together for you. Is there a backstory? Yeah, well, in that other job that I had, visiting customers, restaurants and hotels, My job was to be like an advisor, you know, for people that were opening places or for people that already had, but to, you know, help them make the right decisions on price and and cost and all that. So that taught me a lot. And most of my clients at the time for years were Japanese restaurants and Peruvian restaurants. So that's how I started falling in love with that type of food, learning from them. They were very methodic, very organized, which is not, it's not the 
common denominator in the in a kitchen, right? There's right. always a mess. There's always screaming and stress. So this type of cuisine was very different in that sense. And I think that's what made me fall in love with the type of food and, and the respect that the Asians have for cooking. Jesus, I want to go back to your childhood and food. Now, food is such a great connector, right? It's an important factor in our cultures, our families, our stories. Is there a favorite food from childhood that you love? For me, the dish that I miss the most, made by my mother, who passed away a couple of years back, it was the empanadas. And the empanada, I know Argentinians make empanadas, Colombians make empanadas, but my mom will make these empanadas fried. It's fried with the same mix that we use for the arepa. The arepa is our national dish. It's made with corn flour. Very simple, just water, some salt and oil, and you can make them fried or in the oven. The empanadas are made with the same dough. They have a filling, and then you fry them. My mom will make them with lentils and cheese. So to me, that was a little piece of heaven. Uh, she will dedicate so much time to the kitchen. We were you know, three brothers. She will start breakfast, and by the time she was ending breakfast, she was starting lunch. So it was mostly uh, spending the whole day in the kitchen. And those memories, the smells, and the taste of those empanadas is what really connects me with food and makes me realize the importance, right? Because now that she's not here, every time I taste something similar with similar ingredients, it takes you back. And it's a beautiful memory. As a chef, have you tried empanadas? Of course, yes. I try to make them like her. It's not even close. But I do try, you know, I, I, it's, it's not that I need the empanadas to think about her, but it's also like a, a, a nice moment for me to, you know, taste those flavors and think about her. Now, when I think about so many different things that you've done, I feel like any big steps, big decisions we take in our lives, they have certain level of uncertainty right? Have there been times where you felt scared and doubted whether you could or couldn't pull these decisions off? Yeah, of course. Um, And and I think we all all go through those stages. For me, uh, and, and I learned that since I got to the U.S. and started washing dishes, I knew that it was going to be part of a journey and that it was it was teaching me something mm. and that it will be useful at some point. I try to think the same way for everything and every job that I had. I, I obviously, you know, in between the restaurants, I also worked landscaping. When I finally got my papers, I worked at a bank for the benefits. I keep going to school. So I, I always thought that there was, there was a reason, you know, for everything. Obviously, you don't want to spend you know, your weekends uh, uh, working at a restaurant while your friends are partying. But I knew it will be worth it, you know, at the end. I felt scared many times, you know, while I was um, maybe going to an interview uh, when I started on TV. But I felt like going to school for journalism and then learning about food and kitchen, uh, knowing about sports, gave me like a little bit of knowledge somehow to be part of the show. and. I think that's what helps at the end, you know, all the experiences that you have when you put all that together, you know, it, it goes against those uh, scary moments, right? Because you feel like you've done, you know, many different things. 
for any reason. You don't know why you do it at the moment, but then you start realizing, you know, that everything was happening because it needed it to happen. That's how I see it now. And, and every time that something good happens, thank God, um, I, I think about that, you know. I had to go through that so that I can enjoy now. How have some of your experiences from playing baseball crossed over into your creating a restaurant or a recipe for that matter? I was able to learn from baseball, you know, the fact that I, I was a team player, you know, and there was effort. They, there needed to be a lot of practicing to be able to perform. Mm. So the same way with the recipes and opening on your own business, you know, you need to keep trying even when you fail, even when you don't get the results that you want to. You know that by practicing and keep trying, at some point you're going to get to that level that you need. And that's exactly what, how, I, how I felt by opening my own place and, and creating a recipe or creating the menu. I knew I needed it to dedicate time, just like in sports. As someone who's obsessed with podcasts, I want to tell you about another podcast I think you really like. It's called Subtitle and it tells stories about languages and what they mean to us. Do polyglots have special skills? Why do we favor some accents or others? Great question, right? Do we think differently in different languages? Maybe. Listen to a story about the fun debates an American linguist has with her British-born husband or hear how comedian Sugar Sammy decided to do four different stand-up shows each in different languages. Be sure to check out subtitle Stories About Languages and the People Who Speak Them on your favorite podcast listening app. Walk me through the process of creating a recipe. I've seen food shows and I've seen movies where, you know, chefs create recipes and it's a whole process. What does that process look like? And was there a moment where you really, really believed in a recipe and it didn't work out? Well, see, yeah, recipes, you start trying, right? And you, you want to, sometimes it's good to be alone. Sometimes it's good to be with some other chefs or someone who tries to, because we all have different taste buds, you know, we all have different opinions on plates and, and flavors. So I, I like to be in, in a company with maybe one or two friends, someone close that are really honest. That's very important. <laughs> You keep trying. I think the more we travel, the more we work with different chefs, the more we work in different places and restaurants, the more you keep learning and you keep adding different flavors to your, to your list. And if you keep that memory and those, those tastes that you, you know, those flavors that you tried, uh, you'll be able to use them in the future for something else. To me and the type of cuisine that we do is very important, the sauces. And the way you marinate, you know, let's say the fish in my case. So those little ingredients, I, I have, I have to remember them as much as I can. So you create those those dishes by combining those flavors and by saying, okay, this will go well with this. Maybe if I cook the protein this way, it gets a better texture or the texture that I'm looking for. If it's crispy, if it's creamy, um, if it's tender. Um, and then it goes well with this sauce type of sauce, you know, is it, is it acid? Is it spicy? Is it sweet? And then you start combining and trying, you know, there's going to be a point where you're going to say, wow, this is, this is it. This is good. So as you try, do you write it down? 
Yes, you write down the, the you know, the amount. It's very important so that you can make them again the exact same way. So was there a recipe disaster, something that you conceptualized, you thought it would turn out great, but then when you tasted it, you were like, oh, no way, am I serving this? Well, yes. I mean, sometimes you try things that don't go well together, or sometimes you even have to think about the process of making it, you know, how, how long is it going to take me? You cannot get too passionate about it because you know there's going to be, I mean, if, you, if you're serving in a restaurant, it doesn't have to be a big, huge restaurant, but if you have 10, 12, 15 tables and you know you're going to get the same order five, six, seven times, maybe in a rush hour, you get a lot more. You got to know that you're going to be able to make the same exact dish in the same exact way quick enough, you know? So sometimes you get a whole passionate about cooking the fish this way and this sauce and then the marinating for hours. But is it practical? Are you going to be able to do it many, many times in the same day? So you, you have to think about those things too. What is an average duration or time that you're okay with? If it takes half an hour, the recipe is doable. If it takes an hour, no way. There's ways of, of minimizing the time, right? You do your prep, you have your sauce ready, you have you know the companions ready, and you just focus on one thing. Usually the main protein, what takes longer. But it shouldn't take more than 12, 15 minutes to have that dish ready. Because, you know, you shouldn't have someone waiting from the time they put the order in to they receive it more than 20, 25, you know, more than that is too long for someone waiting there for the plate. Mm. It should be able to be served on the table in 15, 20 minutes. I want to tell you about a headcom podcast I think you are going to love. Fake the Nation with Nakeen Fursad is an excellent addition to my list of new podcasts that I'm obsessed with. You may know Nagin from her TED Talk, from NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or her book, How to Make White People Laugh. On Fake the Nation, Nagin and a rotating cast of her funniest, smartest, and most politically astute friends, people like Samantha Bee, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Larry Wilmore, and so many more break down the news, make you laugh, think, and deliver a cut punch to humanity. Subscribe now so you don't miss another episode of Fake the Nation airing every Thursday. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Jesus, you worked with a lot of celebrities as well, right? Do you have an interesting anecdote, a story that you can share with us? Well, they're all uh, in the Hispanic market, but I know, well, at least, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo went to the show. Uh, we made a cake for her. It was close to her birthday. That was an amazing experience. We had uh, basketball player Shaquille O'Neal. He's huge. And we had to make, we had to make a lot of food for him. <laughs> um, so many people from sports, you know, me as a baseball player, every time that a sports guy goes to the show, it's always exciting to me. And they're usually good eaters because they, they have to, to perform. So, I mean, it's, it's been great, you know, to be able to cook for them and, and at least, you know, have them try your food. Is, it's always amazing. What is the most rewarding part of being a chef? When you see that expression, when you know it reminds them of something, it's very melancholic. You know, it always takes you back somewhere. Your childhood, someone that you remember with love that is not present anymore. 
when you touch that little sense there, it's very gratifying. You know, it's very, uh, it feels very nice that through your food or through your recipe, you were able to take that person somewhere special. Has someone done that for you? Has there been a chef whose food you tried and it took you back to your childhood? Totally. I mean, uh, there were dishes that my mom or my grandmother will make, you know, from Venezuela. And I've tried some very good dishes at different restaurants from different chefs that take me back. And you appreciate that very much. You know, that was well, that was well done. That's exactly what you look for when you're cooking for someone else as well. I'm always looking for good restaurants in New York. Can you suggest one or two restaurants that you really like in New York City? I'm going to suggest one that it was part of the show, uh, Que Delicia el Sabor de América, that I just recorded this beginning of the year. We went to Brooklyn, a place that got a Michelin star and everything. It's uh, Venezuelan cuisine, and it's called Casa Hora. Ask for Chef Ivo and tell him that I sent you. He's great food. He cooks with his mother. He worked in a French place, very high-end, and his mother was making just arepas and empanadas to sell door to door. Oh. But she had that taste. She had that mojo. And they got together and opened this place in Brooklyn. And it's been a hit. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to try it this weekend. And I will report back to our listeners. We can't leave without discussing your show, right? Yes, please. It's relatively recent, right? It started when? Yeah, we had six episodes out on October and another seven episodes out in December. So it's very recent. In this country, we are united by our Hispanic roots. Each city reflects our culture and our identity. Let's explore together the unique flavors and seasonings that make us who we are. And add spice to our soul. The platform is called VIX. It's completely free. You have 13 episodes already done there. We went from the West Coast to the East Coast. We went to the center, Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh. And the West Coast, we did San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, Long Beach. Then we went to Philly, New York, New Jersey. We did Miami and Orlando. So every city we visited, we found a lot of stories with very, very meaningful. Like this one that I just told you, New York, you know, mother and son. We have some grandmothers very passionate about their old recipes and giving them now to their grandchildren so that they can keep going with the business. And very great stories from immigrants, all of them. And I realized that, you know, we, we play a huge role in American cuisine. You know, we start just like I did washing dishes, but somehow we, we become the chefs at some point or the right hand of the chef. And we, we take pride of that. So let's first start with the title. What does it translate to in English? How delicious the flavors of America. And how do you say the title? Que delicia el sabor de América. I love it. I wish I could say it like that, but I love it. <laughs> Who came up with the name? Uh, we all did as a, as a team. We obviously went through different options, but, you know, there were rights to it to get it available. But the whole production team and VIX, you know, which is the platform, we had our options. And then we started narrowing down to this one. Tell me about the experience of creating the show. It was a huge experience to me. The best one I've had. I always wanted to travel, taste new food and meet new people, new chefs. So that's exactly what we did. You know, the experience of going around 
learning about those different cultures and and being able to to showcase what they do. We had Michelin stars, uh, James Beard awards, chefs, but we also had those mom and pops places where you know they also have a huge crowd and they are making a huge impact in the community. Some of them started, as I said, from the very bottom. Now they have two, three, four different locations. They're very beautiful stories. So if you had to choose a city with the best food or at least the most memorable meal that you had on the show, which city wins and why? Wow. It's hard for me to pick one, just one. But I think obviously New York, L.A. and Miami. I mean, they're all three. They have this mix of different cultures and flavors that makes them special. I was amazed by Philly, too. They have a lot of character. but. I'll say LA, just because I love seafood. There's a lot of Asian cuisine and a lot of mixes with our Latin community, Mexicans. I think LA. In addition to LA, was there a city that surprised you where you weren't expecting great food, but you were pleasantly surprised? Yes, Charlotte was one. Charlotte was a, was a place where I didn't expect that much. A lot of young people with very creative minds and, and wanting to work and, and giving it a shot. Charlotte was was great. So you've traveled a lot through this show, right? And you've traveled otherwise as well. What have you discovered about you while traveling and exploring so many different places? Something that you were not fully aware of or was not part of your consciousness? Traveling, learning from different people, different cultures, tasting and seeing with your own eyes. Uh, there's there's nothing better than that for someone that is learning about food or, or trying to be a chef. You know, traveling, staying at different places and, and, and being there to to experience the whole process and see how these people make it happen in their own businesses. It's everything. I wasn't expecting that much knowledge from this opportunity. Were you able to connect food with people I see a lot of times, especially in the United States, people enjoy different cuisines, right? They will enjoy the culture, but they are unable to establish that connection between people and food. Totally. I mean, we, we are the ones who make the dishes, you know, and everything comes with a story and, and it comes from a very special place. As you said, with memories and different moments that we already shared and now we're trying to share with someone else so that they can even feel what we felt. There's totally a connection between food and people. It takes you different places. And, and you see that every time you go to a house, a, home, a visit, everybody, most of the time, they end up in the kitchen. Is there a story you can share with us? From the show? Absolutely. Besides this one that I just mentioned in Brooklyn, Casa Ora, there was also another place in Houston, Texas, where, you know, there was a mother who didn't have three kids. She went back to 20 years back when she came to the U.S., Many times she had to share one tackle, one, between the three children and her husband. That's all they had. And today they own two different restaurants serving tacos for the community. I think to me that was one of the great stories we, we had. Jesus, in the end, if you were to describe America, the United States of America, in a word or a sentence, how would you do that? America, I have to describe it as a place of opportunities opportunities that many times we don't we don't have in our own countries 
you know, as much as we tried and want to stay in our country and our place with our people, we don't get those opportunities. So I think to describe America will have to be the place of the opportunities. Thank you so much. Is there a website people can go to and find your show, other stuff that you've done, restaurants? Totally. Uh, my my website is www.chefjesus.com. My Instagram is also at Chef Jesus. Facebook and TikTok is the same. And, you know, I'm in the morning show from Monday to Fridays at Univision. And our show came out in VIX. It's a platform that is totally free. Que delicia el sabor de América. Thank you so much, Chef Jesus. This was wonderful. Thank you, Sadia. What a fun conversation. And I am going to try this restaurant that Chef Jesus recommended. It's called Casa Ora in Brooklyn. And I will report back on my thoughts about the food. Anyways, this episode was produced by me, written by Michaela Strafe and me. The editorial review is done by Shay Yu. Our sound designer and editor is Hazik Ahmed Farid. Theme music for Immigrantly is done by Simon Hutchinson. Come back next week when we have another incredible story to share. Until then, take care.